Welcome to the Hospital Finance Podcast, your go-to source for information and insights that can help you stay ahead of the challenges impacting healthcare finance. And now, the host of the Hospital Finance Podcast, Michael Passanate. Hi, this is Mike Passanate, and welcome back to the Hospital Finance Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Rob Senska, General Counsel and Director with LW Consulting, a full-service consulting company providing compliance, strategic, and audit services to healthcare providers. Rob has nearly 20 years of legal, compliance, and regulatory experience in the healthcare field, focusing on both the payer and provider sides. Rob has held senior-level hospital legal and compliance leadership roles at both community hospitals and major national health systems. He has also worked at top New Jersey and New York law firms in their health and hospital practice groups. Rob holds a JD from Brooklyn Law School, an MBA from Union University, a BS from Union College, and a Lean Six Sigma Black Belt certification from Villanova University. Rob, welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Mike. Thank you very much for having me. So today we're going to talk about documentation support billing incident to professional services. So Rob, let's start out. What is incident to professional services? Sure, Mike. The incident to rules are billing rules that provide an exception, allowing 100% of allowable reimbursement at the physician level for non-physician practitioners, or what we'll call NPPs, as long as all of the enumerated requirements that are detailed in the CMS rules are met. And what regulations govern billing for these services? This is very important, Mike, because these are codified, these rules for billing, quote-unquote, incident to are codified in the CMS regs, and for the people listening, the specific citation is 42 CFR section 410.26. Also, these rules are laid out in the Medicare Benefit Policy Manual under the Incident 2 section. Now, by way of brief background, Mike, uh, when Medicare was enacted, Congress provided for a payment to the physician who directly interacted with the patient. But Congress also recognized that physicians received help in their offices from other providers. So these incident two rules were established to cover services that are an integral, although incidental, part of a physician's professional services to the patient. And because these services are so intertwined with those that the physician provides, a claim for non-physician provider services that are incident to the physician services can be submitted as if the physician actually performed the service. The non-physician providers are invisible on the claim form when these are submitted, and therefore the claim is paid at 100% of the physician fee schedule, not the other practitioner schedule. What are the requirements for billing incident two? Sure. I think one thing first and foremost to keep in mind is that these incident two rules are specific and apply only to Medicare reimbursement. So some of the elements that are set forth and delineated in the regulations for this are that the service must take place in a quote-unquote non-institutional setting. Another requirement is that a Medicare credential physician must initiate the patient's care. Also, after the initial encounter during which the physician arrives at a diagnosis or plan of care, a non-physician provider, or MPP again, may provide follow-up care. 
other elements, a physician must actively participate in and manage the patient's course of treatment. Basically, the patient just can't be completely handed off through the course of care to the other non-physician practitioner. Also, the incident to service must be the type of service usually performed in the office setting and must be part of the normal course of treatment of diagnosis or illness for the patient. These are sort of the primary key elements for properly billing, quote unquote, incident two. Okay, so let's look at the other side. What services cannot be billed as incident two? Right, great, great point. Any services performed in all other settings other than an office setting uh, are not allowed for institute billing. So the site of service code for the coders listening in is service code 11 for properly billing incident two. All other place of service or site of service codes may not be billed based on an incident two basis. So saying it another way, very basically, it must be in the office setting. Now, I will note, and it'll be outside the scope of this discussion, Mike, but hospitals have their own set of guidelines for what, is, for what are called split or shared services. Our company does consult and provide guidance on that topic, but it's a little bit outside the scope of this discussion. Rob, how is reimbursement affected when billing incident two? As long as the regulatory requirements are met, some of which we just went through, the reimbursement is not affected at all, meaning the providers will receive 100% of the allowable medical Medicare rates. So what are the benefits for employing non-physician practitioners, uh, especially if they're only reimbursed 85% of the Medicare allowable? That, that's a great question and a great point. So just stepping back for a second, the non-physician practitioners are generally paid at a rate of 85% rather than the 100 so there are still very good reasons that we've seen in the industry for having non-physician practitioners bill, even if it's not incident two. Um, these providers can extend their ability to deliver more care to the patients. So the physicians can essentially almost be in more than one place. Now, MGMA, MGMA data has suggested that physician practices and groups that actually use and bill NPPs perform better overall in several categories, including financially. In fact, an MGMA report in 2010 found that 61% of providers and provider groups have quote-unquote better performing practices by using and billing for non-physician providers. This number jumped up in 2013 to almost 68% having quote-unquote better performing practices by using and billing NPPs under their own credentials. So practices have a higher patient capacity, and this can translate into more revenue by utilizing and leveraging these NPPs. Um, there is industry uh, knowledge and literature that suggests that using NPPs can not only allow you to, as a, as a practice, see more patients, but it frees the physicians to perform higher level services and more complex services for patients. So essentially, by employing non-physician providers and having them practice at the top of their license, it really makes sense for everyone. What I like to say, it's the right leveling of the provider to have max capacity and touch the patients. Another thing we see in the industry is that these NPPs often can spend a little more time with the patient, thus establishing an even stronger uh, provider, we'll say, 
and a patient relationship. All benefits to a practice. Do other insurers accept billing incident too? No, this is strictly, as I alluded to earlier, really a Medicare concept. Um, you really have to check all your payer guidelines to see what is acceptable for MPP rules uh, and incident two. Um, this is strictly, in this context, is, is Medicare specific. And what is the process for auditing and monitoring for correct incident two billing and who should oversee the auditing process? Right. I think it's important to check this. We, we do see a lot of errors in this area. Again, you really need to make sure you're following the CMS, the CMS dictated protocol and meeting the requirements of the regs. Um, you know, Medicare does look at these. It's something that they will review um, quite frequently sometimes. So they'll look at every guideline to see if there are improper payments being made. And, and a lot of uh, practices we've seen need some educating in this space. So it's important for a practice that is doing incident two billing to perform a probe audit and really check themselves to see if there are any discrepancies with what they're doing and the regs. And in general, we find in our practice, there's almost always some room for improvement and some confusion, quite candidly, because it's not as straightforward as you would think. Um, so we've seen a lot of practices not billing it right. We've also seen areas where the practice's actual policies and procedures or standard operating processes as they've laid out in writing are not properly aligned or properly written to be in compliance with the incident two rules. So the people might be following what I'm saying are, are their own practice guidelines, but those guidelines are written inappropriately or incorrectly. So that that's obviously key, making sure what you've put into your policies and procedures is right and then what people following are right. So it's important to have experts guide you in this space very often and to have specific guidance on this topic and knowledge and education to make sure that you're following the incident two protocols and requirements properly. Rob, thanks for helping us understand how to properly bill incident two. Uh, if someone wanted to find out more about you or LW Consulting, where can they go? Uh, they can reach us at lw-consult.com, Mike. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. If you have a topic that you'd like us to discuss on the Hospital Finance Podcast, or if you'd like to be a guest, drop us a line at update at Bessler.com. This concludes today's episode of the Hospital Finance Podcast. For show notes and additional resources to help you protect and enhance revenue at your hospital, visit Bessler.com forward slash podcasts. The Hospital Finance Podcast is a production of Bessler. Smart about revenue, tenacious about results.